seated. Scott said, um, I'm going to talk about this more in a minute. Uh, we are so grateful for the work you guys are doing uh, in your homes to, to lead and disciple uh, your families. And as we're going to talk about in a minute, um, I think uh, the role of fathers is uh, absolutely critical uh, in the call uh, that we have as families. But first, I was reminded uh, of, a, of a student, a college student who was away for college and called his mom uh, one day and said, hey, I need, I need some more money. Uh, could you and dad, you know, wire me some money? And she said, well, your dad kind of does the books around here, so let you, you ask him, uh, and, uh, you know, we'll kind of see what he says. So she put uh, her son on the phone uh, with dad, and he says, you know, I really, I really could use some money. And he said, well, you know, you left your economics book here last time you were here. Um, should I send that along with the check? And the son's <laughs> like, yeah, I guess, you know, whatever. The son didn't care about the book at all. And so he gets off the phone and his wife says, so what are we going to do? What, what kind of checks are we sending? And he said, well, I'm going to send two checks, uh, one for $20 and one for $1,000. He said, you're sending them $1,000 and $20? That is not like you. That's insane. He said, well, I'm going to put the $20 on the outside of the economics book <laughs> and the $1,000 in chapter 15. <laughs> and we'll just kind of see what happens. And um, on, on this Father's Day, like, like we mentioned, um, man, we are so grateful uh, for dads that are present and investing and, and giving that time. We talked last Sunday a little bit about how, the purpose of marriage and how the purpose of marriage is actually not our happiness. Uh, according to the Apostle Paul, the purpose of marriage is uh, a, a husband and a wife coming together to demonstrate the gospel to, to their children and to the people around them. And so there's mutual submission because we find that in the gospel. There's uh, unconditional love and laying down of one's life. And we see, we see this image, and we see the same image in the way Paul talks about family. That the purpose of your family, uh, the, the reason you had kids was not unfettered access to Halloween candy <laughs> or free yard work or any of those things, right? Family is meant to be kind of this demonstration of the gospel. So Paul will say to children... Right? I so wish my kids were in here, but they're not. Um, Paul, Paul said, he said, children, obey your parents as you do the Lord. This is being recorded, right? All right, it's being recorded. I'll pay, play it later for my kids. All right? Children, obey your parents as the Lord. That children are bringing this mindset to the, to the table of demonstrating the gospel. They're showing the people around them what it looks like to live in obedience because that is a core part of what we're called to in the gospel. But the other part of it is example setting by parents. And so because it's Father's Day, I want to talk especially to fathers that you play this incredible role of example setting, especially in this area. We, we've been in this series uh, the last several weeks on the seven deadly sins uh, called Villainous, where we're using kind of Disney villains uh, to teach us a little bit uh, of what the Proverbs are also teaching us. Uh, about, about these deadly sins. And today we're looking at greed. And one of the things that dads can do for their kids is to set this example of generosity because that is embedded. Remember, family's not just for our happiness. We, we are on a mission with our families to set an example of what the gospel looks like and, and what it can be like. So children are obeying the Lord. Mom and dad are setting an example of what it looks like to be generous uh, and full of justice at times, Right? Parents, amen, right? We're going to lay the hammer of justice, right? And, and so we're, we're, we're example setting for our kids about what a good, gracious, kind, 
God can look like in, in kind of human form so that someday when they're spiritually interested, it is of no stretch for them. It is of no stretch for them to imagine a God who is generous. They're like, I know, I know dad and mom are, are generous. Or to see a God who executes his justice in a, a correct way. No, I saw my mom and dad do that. Or to see uh, a, a God who laid down his life through his son Jesus. It's like, man, I saw my mom and dad make sacrifices every day. And so I want to just have a high calling of sometimes it's easy to get kind of turned around a little bit on family. But I want to set a high calling for us on what we're really called to do. That we're not just... Some days it feels like we're just trying to make it through every day, and that's okay. Some days feel that way. But I also want us to remember that we are on a mission, a gospel mission, to show in our marriage and to show in our family what the gospel looks like in human form. And I really, like I said, I don't think there's any greater example of it than in the area of generosity. That as parents, right, I'm going to talk to moms and dads and kids and everybody, as people, um, we get to set this example of what a generous people looks like. And the last thing we want to be is like this person. Take a look at the screen. Any of the Disney villains on this uh, attribute of, of greed. Let me show you what Proverbs says. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled uh, to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. I love how the proverb starts. Honor the Lord with your wealth. And I think that sometimes uh, it's hard for us to imagine, some of us, uh, that we are actually wealthy people. Uh, that whenever I read a passage uh, on, like, honor the Lord with your wealth, I can think a lot of us are thinking, that's somebody else, that's not me. Uh, statistically, it's someone that makes about 20% more than I do. They would fit into the wealthy category, and none of us sees our, see ourselves that way. But in fact, if you just kind of look at a global calculator, um, by a global scale, we almost all are indeed wealthy. And the, the advice here is really powerful that we want to, wherever we stand on the wealth thing, where, wherever you are on that, we want to honor God with our wealth. We want to honor God with what we have. And so we're just asking ourselves different questions than maybe most people ask when it comes to money as Jesus followers. We're asking ourselves questions like, what does God want me to do with this money? Or how does God want me to use these resources? Or how does God want me to invest? And so we pray about purchases. We seek godly counsel. We're thoughtful in how we use our resources because of this verse, that we want to honor God with whatever he's blessed us with. And that's different for each person in this room. However God has blessed us, we want to honor God with our wealth. Now, that's not to say you never have anything nice again. If you like the shiny, you get the shiny, right? That's on you, right? It's not that we never have anything nice again. Uh, the Bible talks about enjoying what we have. It's that's not the highest priority, right? Accumulating things for ourselves is not the highest priority. Uh, what God wants and what God calls and how God wants us to use it is indeed the highest priority. And so he specifically mentions first fruits in this text. And we've we talked about this uh, multiple times over the years, but uh, the first fruit is a really powerful teaching when it comes to money about returning to God the first fruit because it is the biggest step of faith when it comes to money. To give God the first of the fruit is to trust in God that the second, third, and fourth is going to come and that God's going to bless and God's going to take care and that the second, third, and fourth is going to come. And so to give the first is a huge step of faith. It's contrasted with, 
like paying all the other bills and then giving God what's left over of the fourth, fifth, and sixth, which doesn't require a high level of faith at all. And so Jesus is going to teach us later that the way we see God as a father and as a generous father, the way we see God on this Father's Day will directly play into this. But I've seen this even in my own life. When I was uh, a young kid, um, I had really no problems being generous. Uh, we would have VBS or we would have an offering or whatever. It was no problem for me to empty my pockets and to give generously. You know why? I knew mom and dad were there, right? They, they were taking care of me. They were paying the bills, right? I wasn't paying any bills at that point. Uh, they were taking care of me, feeding me, uh, loving me, all of, of that stuff. And I found that when I became an adult, I was less generous, <laughs> to, to be blunt. I really had to learn this hard because I, I failed to see God the way that I saw my parents, as a loving father who was there and was going to care for me. And so I found in adulthood, and it took me a long time to learn this, as I hit adulthood, I had to learn to be generous again when I was paying my own bills and, and taking care of myself. I had to begin to see God the way that I had always seen my parents. And when I saw God as a loving father, when I saw God as a loving, generous father, my personal generosity began to increase a little bit. But it really took this being a theological issue to me. For, for me, that I had to begin to understand that God is a good father, God is a generous father, God is a father who cares for his children. Um, there, there's a sense of blessing in this proverb too, uh, that, that this proverb alludes to, and remember it's a proverb, not a promise, but in a very real way, uh, here's the idea of it. The generous person is blessed. And we're not just talking financials right now, although the proverb teaches a little bit of this. We're just talking about you have an opportunity in your life to be generous with your words. You have an opportunity to be generous with your time. You have an opportunity to be generous with the people around you, with your financials. And, and the proverb is teaching us, and we know this from the people that we know that are generous with their words and their time and their money, that generous people tend to be a blessed people. Proverbs 11 builds on this idea. One person gives freely, look what it says, and gains even more. Another withholds unduly and comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. I love this. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Are your words refreshing others? Are your, are, are, with your time, are you refreshing others with your money? Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. People curse the one who hoards grain, but they pray God's blessing upon uh, on the one who is willing to sell. Whoever seeks good finds favor, but evil comes to the one who searches it. Those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. I love it so much, don't you? Whoever refreshes others, it's a life philosophy. Whoever refreshes others, will be refreshed. The greedy person is obsessed with making sure they're refreshed and that they're taken care of and, and that philosophy falls short and leaves us wanting more. But the one who refreshes others, the one who invests in others, the one who is generous with their words and their time and their money will end up refreshed. The proverb will go on to say, the one who gives freely gains more. Whoever seeks good finds favor. The righteous will thrive. On and on it goes. But it says, man, the blessed life is the generous life. The blessed life is the generous life. And Jesus will actually address this issue 
of greed and generosity specifically in, in the Sermon on the Mount. And I want to show you what he says because Jesus knows something about this because he lived a life of generosity. Um, whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Jesus is an example of that with his words and with his very life going to the cross for our sins. Jesus lived a gener generous and grace-filled life so he can teach us a lot about this issue. Let me build a little base before I show you the words of Jesus that in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, the Sermon on the Mount deals with the unusual law in the kingdom of God. The way the law works in the kingdom of God. The kingdom that Jesus came to bring. Um, that, that every kingdom has to grapple with, this is the way the law works in this kingdom. So Cheryl and I have decided, in kingdom Higgs, this is how the law works. Right? This is how the law works, right? At your, at your place of employment, kingdom whatever, kingdom ADM, kingdom caterpillar, whatever it is, at some point someone decided this is the way the law works. Our government has determined this is the way the law works. And let me say it this way. In most kingdoms of this world, the law is not that concerned with your heart. Uh, the law is concerned with your behavior. Let me give you an example. So this week you get caught, let's say, I'm, right, hopefully this isn't true for any of us, but let's say you were to be caught this week embezzling thousands and thousands of dollars from your employer. And you were to go in and they've got all the paperwork laid out and say, we've caught you red-handed, you've been embezzling money, the hammer of justice is about to fall. Let me say what's not going to work. Say, hey, could I tell you what was going on in my heart? Could I just have a conversation with you about what was going on in your heart? The authorities are going to look at you and say, no, we don't care what was going on in your heart. You're fired. You're being prosecuted, whatever the case may, may be. This just tends to be how most kingdoms tend to go. It is all about your behavior. The law is meant to control your behavior, judge your behavior if you screw up. And because of that, the law just tends to be a little bit behavior obsessed. And you see this with your kids over time as you're like, Kingdom Higgs, this is the way it works. No screen time till after lunch, and then a certain amount of that. And then what we begin to see is, hey, 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 I know that's how it works in the kingdom. Could we have an exemption just for today, just one day? Could we watch something at 11 a.m.? Is 11 a.m. lunchtime? No. Then no, you cannot, right? right. And every, that's the way the law works. And every once in a while, we're like, all right, you can have an exemption. And we regret it. Every single time, we regret it. Uh, and that's just the way the law works. You'll find it with your kids. Pushing boundaries. How close can I get? Yada, 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 and that's how, because the law is obsessed with behavior, at what point does my behavior become unacceptable and the punishment comes and we play all of these games with the law. And I'll tell you exactly how you know this because those of you are, that are going to lunch after, you will come to a sign at some point while you're traveling that says, this is the speed limit. This is the law. You will get a ticket if you go above this, but you have learned over time that five over is okay. If you were to learn that 10 over was okay, you would do that, right? And, and so we, this is just, these are the laws we play, uh, the, the games we play, excuse me, with the law. And Jesus comes onto the scene and he begins to talk to them about this different way of doing the law. And, and he talks more about heart than he does law. 
Now, it's not that Jesus doesn't believe in the law. He does. He for sure does. But he understands a very powerful thing. The way you change the world is not through a law. We've tried that. The way you change the world is not through a law. The way you change the world is by changing a heart. Yeah, right. The way, I've seen this again and again, the way you change a marriage is not by enacting a law. The way you change a marriage is by changing a heart. The way you change a family, the way you change a community, the way you change a church, the way you, the way you change anything is not by enacting a law because of that little push and pull that we said, well, all right, you, we got this law, five over's okay, right? Or, you know, I, I can, like, like over, I'm on a diet, but I can overeat Wednesday. Wednesday will be my cheat day. And, and for me, Wednesday through Saturday becomes my cheat day, right? <laughs> and, and so a glorious 24 hours of cheating, Right? And this is just how we tend to approach law. So Jesus says, no, no, no. We're not going to change anything by enacting a law. What we're going to change is people's hearts in my kingdom. And he goes on to give all of these examples. He's like, you have heard that it was said, do not murder. Fantastic law. I believe in it. I hope you do too, right? Um, fantastic law. Do, do not murder. He said, but I'm telling you, anger, manage the anger in your heart. It can reap huge amounts of destruction. He said, you've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. Fantastic law, good law, but I'm telling you, watch out for lust. It can be destructive. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, and a, and a, uh, an eye for an eye, but I'm telling you in my kingdom, watch out for the heart that is bent on revenge. It can do damage. And then he says this. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin, I love it, vermin, destroy, where thieves break in a steal, do not do store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will be devoted to the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And your God takes care of birds. Nasty, nasty birds, right? <laughs> so, and your heavenly Father feeds them, right? He takes care of birds, are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If this then is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, we understand a little something about this with the lack of rain we've had. Um, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? The pagans run after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I love that text. I am a worrier by nature. 
I have a lot of money anxiety that I just tend to worry about stuff that I don't even need to worry about. This text has always served me really well, really well. And Jesus, because he understands this is a heart issue, he's going to ask a, a series of questions that I want to ask you, um, kind of unrelated to one another. We're just going to go one by one uh, to kind of get to the heart of what might be going on in our hearts when it comes to greed and generosity and money and stuff and all of that stuff. And so the first question Jesus asks is, what do I treasure? What do I treasure? Everybody's making a decision. Every single person in this room is making a decision about what they're treasuring in and investing in. And he asks a tough question. What are your dollars saying? When you think about the dollars that you've spent, what are your dollars saying about what you're currently investing in. And this is important because we're in church. We would never lie in church. I know that. Uh, You know that. Um, But we learn the right answers in church. And so anytime I ask a question, it's like, just take a swing at the ball sometime and just say Jesus. It's probably the right one, right? Uh, And and so we just have learned the right way to answer questions. It's just, is it, when I, when Jesus says, what do you treasure in? We know what the right answer is. And Jesus says, try to erase that from your mind for a minute and instead ask, what are your dollars demonstrating that you you invest in? So there's a way to live life that invests our time and our words and our money in stuff that just isn't lasting, that moth and rust destroy, new things, purchases, stuff. I I told you the worst financial decision I ever made was a lease on a brand new vehicle in Oldsmobile Intrigue. And the first road trip, I didn't tell you this story last week, but the first road trip I ever took with that, I was going really fast and all of a sudden it just starts pouring rain. And I come around the corner during this pouring rain and traffic is at a dead stop. So I slam on the brakes of my Oldsmobile Intrigue. I begin doing one of these. I go into a field, I hit a guardrail, And that was the first road trip I ever had after investing all this money in in this car. Moth and rust and rain and terrible drivers destroy, right? (laughs) And some of it's necessary, obviously. A a house and a car. And Jesus is asking us just a simple question. Yeah, he wants us to enjoy the blessings that he's given us. talk about that later in the scriptures, but is everything going to that or is too much going to that? And and so there's a way to do it where moth and rust destroy. And then there's a way to invest our words and our time and our money and stuff that moth and rust cannot destroy. Mission, gospel mission is one of those things. People, investing in people are, are one of those things. Ministry is one of those things to really evaluate and think about When it comes to my time and my money and even my words, what am I really investing in? Am I investing in kingdom ventures and things that are important to God and things that will last forever? And he teaches us an important lesson. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is just true. When you buy a new car, you're probably like me, especially if you have kids. When you buy a new car, we bought a new van a couple years ago. We... Love that van when we first bought it so much. And we tend to care about that car a lot. I washed it for Cheryl every week. We made our kids clean out the trash, um, which was awesome and really cool to see them do that. Uh, And and then just over time, it loses its luster. And, And so he says that your heart tends to follow your investment. 
is what Jesus is teaching it. And it's true that you, you know, buy a new car, you buy a new house, all of a sudden your heart is bent toward that's th- that thing. So it's true that you can evaluate your heart by paying attention to your treasure. But you know what else I also believe? Another interpretation of this is I believe you can begin to change your heart by changing your spending. On a micro level, God, it, on a micro level is what I'm talking about because God ultimately changes our hearts. But I think sometimes he uses treasure to do it. Try it out sometime. Sponsor a kid in another country. And you will find your heart bending to that country and to that kid. Give to a local ministry and you will find yourself paying attention more, watching more, and you'll find your prayer life changing because your heart is bent toward your treasure. Be generous and see just your heart bend toward the thing you're investing in. So yeah, it's an evaluative tool of all right, all right, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So where's my treasure? It's an evaluative tool, but I think it's also a challenge to us. Change our investments and change our heart. Heart question number two. Am I seeing the world around me correctly? This is another way to test where our heart is on this. Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. I love what one of my commentators says. I'm gonna, I really struggled to read this in practice this morning, so we're going to try it again, right? If one has clarity and unimpeded vision, that is, a worldview of ethical perspective grounded in undivided loyalty to God, then one can avoid the obstacles and pitfalls that lead to spiritual destruction. On the other hand, an evil eye is reflective of a life distracted by worldly factors, resulting in an inner darkness or a blindness to true spiritual reality. This saying spells out in a practical manner the delimiting consequences of a life devoted to material pursuits. Let me kind of translate a little bit. Greed has the ability to change your perspective on so many things. Greed changes the way you see the world. A greedy heart will lie to us, and a greedy heart will say, trust in that thing to give you joy, hope, and peace, knowing full well that thing cannot give you joy, hope, and peace. So a new house becomes not a new house to the greedy heart. A new house becomes a little g-god that we are hoping will lead us to unmatched joy. Greed will change our perspective on politics and giving and habits and relationships and so many things. Greed changes the way we see the world. The good news is that generosity does the same thing. It changes the way we see the world. A generous heart, it'll change the way you see politics and people and causes, and mission, and purpose, and so many things. And because God is generous, the generous heart will begin to see the world the way God sees the world. And that's powerful. And so we pray, God, would you begin to change my heart and my mind? Because in this American culture, I think it is almost impossible to not struggle with this. God, would you make me less greedy? Would you make me more like you? Would you give me a generous heart? And as he changes our hearts and our minds, we begin to see everything different. Also, we're like, man, I see that person differently. I see politics differently. I see relationship differently. I see my church differently. I see everything differently because now I am looking at it through a new eye. The eye is the lamp of the body. And so it changes the way we see the world. Heart question number three. Who am I serving? Jesus says you cannot serve both God and money because they are 
will lead you to two totally different places. So it is just impossible to serve God and money. The greedy heart will lead you in this direction. The generous heart based in the love of God will lead you in this direction. They are leading you to different places. Greed will never, ever, ever ask you to invest in those who are suffering. Greed will never, ever ask you to give to the ministry serving others. Greed will never, ever ask you to volunteer in the program. But I promise you, I promise you guys, I promise you, if you reject greed and you embrace the generous heart, there will come a a, a time in your life, and more importantly, in your eternity, where you will be so glad you did, because you will see the difference your dollars made, and your words made, and your time made. And there will come a time, I hope in this life, but for sure, I think it happens in the next life. I can't prove it, but I think based on some passages about rewards and stuff like that, it happens in the next life where God's like, this is the difference your words made. This is the difference your time made. This is the difference your dollars made. And you will begin to to be so glad that you turned away from greed that won't ask a single thing of you in terms of investing in other people. That you turned away from greed and you turned toward God and his generosity And you will begin to see that at some point you will begin to see that you are investing in things that really matter. And I think every once in a while it is good for us to ask the question. I know I mentioned it last week. This is what, number three on the sermons we really don't wish to hear. I get it. And and you got two in a row. What can I say? You are a blessed people for sure. Um, Every once in a while it is good for us just to think through this and evaluate What am I devoted to? What am I devoted to? My time, my money, my talents, my words. Am I giving to things that really matter? People, mission, gospel. Am I giving to things that really matter? Because those are the things where moth and rust can't destroy, where thieves break in and steal. It can't do that. It is the stuff that really matters because it lasts forever. And certainly greed is an obstacle to this, no doubt about it. But Jesus points out another kind of obstacle to it, and that's worry. That greed will keep me from being generous. But a lot of times, with, uh, especially those of us that, that are church folk, right? Um, we're like, oh, I'm trying to reject greed. I, I 100% believe in rejecting greed. But worry gets the best of me. I'm right there with you. Um, I am a hypertensive worrier, all right? So um, absolutely no question about it. And so worry uh, keeps us from being generous as well. It closes the open hand. And we want to remember on this Father's Day, we have a Heavenly Father. Man, you have a Heavenly Father who has practiced and demonstrated generosity and love and kindness with his words and his time and his self-sacrifice um, and, and he has demonstrated for us what it looks like to be generous. And as we follow him, we naturally become more generous. Can I show you a John Ortberg quote from Christmas? It's a Christmas quote, but we're about to hit July. We're halfway to Christmas. Someone said, please stop. You're going to you're give me more hypertension. Stop posting the Christmas stuff, please. I'm begging you. Right? I don't need to know in June that I need to start shopping for Christmas. You're stressing me out. All right, so, all right, here's what John Ortberg says. These are the first words that tell of the love that would launch Christmas. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And here's why that verse is so central. What made that first Christmas great is God got to do what God wanted to do. God so loved the world that he gave. Giving is what love does. Giving is how love expresses itself. Giving is the heart of love, and therefore giving is the heart of God. Giving is what God is into. One thing people do not understand about God is that God is not a taker. God is a giver. This is the good news of the Bible. In the ancient world, there were myths and stories about the gods who created human beings to be slaves because those gods were takers. They came, then came this story about the people of Israel in the book of Genesis of a God who is so generous that he creates with beauty and says, now take it, now enjoy it. God so loved the world. We serve a giving God. And the natural outflow of embracing that truth is that we too are generous. So I want to challenge you to not be worried. Me too. I'm, it's tough, right? Do not be worried. Each day has enough trouble of its own, to be sure. Um, each day has enough trouble of its own, so don't worry about tomorrow. But in addition to that, you serve a good father who loves you and he cares for the sparrows. <laughs> nasty, nasty birds. Right? He cares for them. And he too will care for you. Right? He cares for the lilies of the field, which are here today and gone tomorrow. He will care for you. He loves you. He gave his son for you, who died for you. He'll take care of you. And so we're, we're not going to be worried about tomorrow. Each day has enough trouble of its own, and we serve a good God. And so that frees us up, throwing away greed, throwing away worry. It frees us up to be givers. We are the people of God, changed by his grace, motivated by his love. We are givers. We are generous with our words. We do not criticize, condemn, and complain. We are generous with our words. We are generous with, the, with our time. We are generous with our money. We are the givers. We have been changed by his grace, his one and only son that he gave to die for our sins. We are changed by his grace. We are motivated for eternity. We are forever made new by his gospel. We are givers. So we leave this place. We are not going to be abusive to wait staff. We are not. We are givers. We are going to leave this place with kindness on our tongue, encouragement on our tongue, ready to serve, ready to give, ready to write the check, ready to be motivated to love anyone that God places in our path. Why? The gospel. We are changed, we are changed, we are changed by his grace. This story is not just a gospel story. It is a life-changing moment in history where God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And we internalize it and we are changed by it and we are forgiven by it and we are givers. So would someday, would people look at the church and say, I'm not sure I believe in their God. I am not sure I believe in their Savior. I am not sure I believe in their gospel. But they are the givers of our community. They show up, they write checks, they serve, they give, they are generous, they overtip. They are the givers of our society. 
They are the givers of our community. They always have a kind word to say. Always a, they're motivated to serve. Always ready to help out. They are the givers. And I hope they will accept our God. I hope they will accept our gospel. But honestly, I hope they say that as well. When they look at Northwest Christian Church, man, where would this community be without these people that always have a kind word to say, an encouraging thing to, that, that, that's on their heart, a check that they're going to write, time they're going to give? They are the givers of Macon County. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you for your grace. And I want to pray as we get ready to enter into a time of communion that right now we would examine where we're at on this issue of generosity. When I think back this last week to the giving I've done, the serving, the words I've spoken, the acts of service I've participated in, could somebody look at me? Could my kids look at me? Could Cheryl look at me? Could Northwest look at me and say, he's a giver. He's full of grace. He gives. I want to pray that for every single person in this room right now. That we would not just believe this gospel that we're going to remember right now in a few minutes. That we wouldn't just believe it. But we would believe it and be changed by it. And that people would look at our church and they'd be blown away by our generosity of word, service, financial, and that we would be known as givers. Not because we're special or good, but because we serve a God who gives. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. My prayer for us someday your friends and your kids and your grandkids, the people around you, will talk about you. And I hope and pray that one of the things they talk about when they talk about you is your generosity. And that they would have no trouble seeing this generous God who so loved the world that he gave his one only son. They'd have no trouble believing that because they've interacted with you and they've seen on a micro level what generosity can look like. We're going to receive communion now. We're going to celebrate this act of generosity with God that he gave his one and only son. And I want to pray right now as they pass it that you'll hold on to the two cups stacked on top of each other. One has bread representing Jesus' body. The other has juice representing his blood. And that we would just hold on to those cups and we would believe it and we would be changed by it. And we would leave this place ready to walk in generosity. And then I'll come back up. You just kind of spend time with your God and I'll come up and I will lead us through a prayer and we'll receive communion all together as a church family. His body given for you. His blood poured out. God, we thank you for your generosity. We thank you that core to what we're doing as your people is giving. Money is one part of it, to be sure, but there's a lot of other parts of it that we would just be described as a people of grace and a people of giving. Would you help us to do it? Would you help us to not just believe, but to be in, 
but to be changed by your gospel and that we would reject greed, reject worry, and we would just stand day by day by day as your people, ready to encourage, ready to give, ready to serve, ready to help. May we be exactly what is described in this text, that may people say about us, we are the givers. They may not believe in you, I pray they do. They may not believe the gospel, I pray they do. But may they see us and say, man, I can't deny they've been changed by this. And they are the givers. We thank you again for Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen. Hey, happy Father's Day. Like I said, it is so close to what we're talking about today. Uh, the idea of generosity we have uh, as dads and, and, and as moms, but today as dads, uh, to demonstrate generosity to the people around us. So I pray uh, that you would do that. A very little small act of generosity is this dad's root beer that we have after, right? Uh, some potato chips, some snacks, some stuff. And we started doing this a couple years ago, and I'll tell you, um, sometimes comments do uh, really change things because the moms were like, we want a snack on Mother's Day. <laughs> like, I mean, the rose is fine. Just, we want something to eat too. Uh, and so we moved to cookies. And so, you know, your comments do make a difference. So, um, and, uh, but today uh, we have root beer for everyone. All right, we want to make that clear. Um, I will be sipping on this stuff all summer if you don't take one. So please do take one. Um, and uh, uh, we appreciate it. Happy Father's Day. I do want to let you know one other thing. If you have a prayer request or you're interested in learning about this generous God who loves you and you want to give your life to him or you're interested in joining this community of believers, um, some of our elders will be in the overflow right after church and they would love to meet with you and talk with you or pray with you. So uh, God bless you guys. Go ahead and stand up and uh, let's close with one last song of worship. So I put my hands, praise